0: For October 2nd, 2023, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 796. Benedict Cumberbatch makes it rain. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, he said, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are, he said, his mind wandering off onto other things as he completed his routine that he did every week. Your smart, funny friends from the Internet were never happier than we're... He paused. Was there a tie-in or a joke that he could make to the topic of this particular week's episode? Hanging around together and talking about the things that we love he completed the the bit. I'm Matt Rather and I'm here with my good friend Pete Fenzel. Hello Pete.
1: You know, if he was actually being greeted, Peter would be in the middle of something that he would have to turn away from and shift focus in order to say hello to Matt. But given that in this situation Peter and Matt have already been talking for several minutes and this greeting is merely to perform the example of Peter's voice for the recording, Peter will use a chipper tune that kicks into gear immediately without such diversion of attention. Hi Matt. Hi Pete. It's great to have you on the podcast. Likewise.
0: It's always nice to hear Pete's voice thought, Matt, what a wonderful routine we've created for ourselves every week in doing this (laughs) this No, Wait, have we been going on at this a little bit too long? Has the bit become alienating and confounding? Oh, good. I'm going to recommit to it, he said, turning to the next person on his (laughs) list. And Mark Lee, how are you doing? He asked plaintively.
2: Mark stares at the camera wordlessly looking straight at the lens perfectly framed in the center um, surrounded by uh, various analog retro objects all in a scene of muted pastel colors that's my bit <laughs> we start to keep doing the bit i think you guys get, get it what's anderson y'all <laughs> Not-
0: so, we, we, uh, we all watched, uh, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, which is Wes Anderson's, uh, released on Netflix, Wes Anderson's adaptation of the Henry Sugar story from the Roald Dahl, uh, short story collection, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar and six more. Um, which I read, I guess, I guess you guys didn't read, read the wonderful story of Henry Sugar, uh, or the six more. And I think there are also Netflix started then promoing me thumbnails of like other sort of twee looking, highly mannered, um, things that looked like adaptations of other roll doll short stories, though not ones that I r- recall particularly from, um, from the wonderful story of Henry Sugar and six more. Uh, so maybe, maybe this is like part of a, like a, a sort of brace of the, I guess a brace is too. I guess a, a, uh, what a, a peck of these that, that, uh, that Wes Anderson picked and pickled, uh, and is streaming on the, uh, on the Netflix. I don't know, like that. but, uh, we watched the, the Henry Sugar one. It's about 37 minutes long. It stars Benedict Cumberbatch, um, yeah, uh, Dev Patel, Ben Kingsley is in it. Ray Fiennes is in it. Like uh, it's and and I think these people actually the guy rec-
2: from the IT crowd very crucially guys from the IT <laughs> right.
0: crowd. Um, the uh, and I think actually that he's Richard he Iode,
1: the- right? We know his name. Oh no, <laughs> I didn't.
2: I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Which
1: is oh, like you got to watch his other shows. They're right. so good. You got to watch Travel Man and uh, oh yeah, never mind. We won't go into to Richard Iode's, uh career, but he has a lot of good stuff.
0: God, there goes right. Pete again, set, thought that. <laughs>
1: man Um, (laughs) if only somebody could rescue me from this situation thought pete as a giant aircraft carrier full of dogs riding in rescue vehicles emerged from the ocean inexplicably and roared towards the town acquiring superpowers for no reason and also foiling the battle i also saw paw patrol the mighty movie i'm just gonna throw paw patrol stuff (laughs) into this podcast it's good because we saw a paw patrol movie so that's Uh, yeah
0: so we're we're, actually pete and i thought of doing this as a two-hander once like trying to do a podcast where we were we were, we were uh, podcasting on two separate topics simultaneously, <laughs> Pete, Pete on one and me yeah. on another. It would take a level of like sustained attention that I'm not sure we really have on Sunday. No, 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 on no. Uh, we're not going to do that. Yeah, on this Sunday is a Wes evening. Anderson
1: podcast with Paw Patrol references, not a Paw Patrol co- podcast with Wes Anderson references.
0: What that means is that you will you will see the stage machinery wheeling in and out the sets every time the uh, every time we talk about the every time we make a change of 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 scenery of location or of uh of beat um so hey yeah so this the the wonderful story of henry sugar i i mean i i am tempted to like just jump into ways in which it is different um it's different from the short story the main one uh is in balance is in time given to um time given to the various kind of meta narratives, right like uh so the wonderful story of of henry sugar and six more is the story of a wealthy british aristocrat english aristocrat i should say who uh lives in a flat in london and uh it's um mid you know mid 20th century i think and like he's uh but he's bored and he's lives for leisure and he's you know wealthy so that he never has to work a day in his life and he spends the day in country houses, uh, you know, visiting his weekends, visiting his friend in country houses and living this kind of life of, of, uh, of leisured ennui. And he, um happens upon a book uh that recounts a, a book a monograph written by a physician that recounts um a person uh the the physician's encounter with a person who uh was able to see without his eyes and learned learned to do it by mastering the like ancient yogic arts in India of uh you know of sustained concentration on a single object uh, which then allows you to do magic things. And, um, you know, Henry Sugar begins to practice this. He, uh, I having, you know, having read about it in the monograph, he, you know, being a, a, a millionaire, billionaire, I don't know what the, the right uh, term is for the particular time. Let's call him a millionaire playboy. Uh, takes it to the, uh, takes it to the gambling den and, uh, discovers that he can win all the games of chance and, uh, does, uh, you know, and, and then, um, goes on like almost immediately, you know, decides to go, uh, find, find, uh, to go, uh, all around the world gambling. In different, uh, different casinos all around the world in disguises because he'll be, you know, caught and thrown out. People will assume that he's cheating. He is cheating, in fact, uh, using his, his yoga, uh, x-ray vision to, uh, win every game of chance. And he, um, though mostly blackjack, I guess, though there's a, there's a bit about roulette in the, in the short story where he can kind of concentrate and see where the wheel is going to land. But that would be super suspicious if you just kept, uh, hitting every number bang on. Bang on, bang on. Um, so yeah, it's a, uh, and then, uh, he, he, uh, decides to put, use his powers for good and found orphanages. That's it. There's really nothing else remarkable about the, the film other than, than what I've narrated, right? <laughs> um, so that's, that's the story. That's the story of Henry Sugar. And so roughly it's the, the film is split up. So it is about half the backstory of the Henry Sugar kind of learning, reading the book within a book, um, and, uh, learning about how this, uh, how this, like, Indian magician acquired his powers. And then, uh, the second half is him acquiring the powers himself and then going on to do the kind of the gambling thing. That is a way off balance with what it is in the, uh, with what it is in the short story, where the second half is actually much extended um, versus what it is in the, uh, in the film where there is kind of like a, almost like an adventure story that follows about how he goes and like wears disguises and sort of James Bond's his way into casinos and like he, uh, you know, um, had like narrow escapes huh. from security guards and things and things like this, you know, not like, uh, that's really interesting. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, so this and the kind of the, the ins and outs of how he does it are sort of dwelt on a little more as well as a little more. His interiority about how he is sort of changed by the by the experience, and how he gives up his his life of of you know moneyed uh, leisure, and uh, you know learns to to devote himself to to the care of others. Because one thing that's that's given in the 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 short story that's not in the film is that the the power. Um uh, comes with a terrible curse and uh the the curse is that you can't you will suffer grave consequences if you use it uh for your own ends if you use it sort of to enrich yourself or to you know uh, there are like things that that you're you're not allowed to do to to just sort of feed your own feed your own greed, and that's completely alighted maybe for the best in the in the short film. Um, in the short film of this, but then the whole thing is, is done in this, uh, I don't know. The whole thing is done in this Wes Anderson style. I mean, I don't know, Pete, what did you're, you're, you didn't know the story, so you, you came at it and more kind of probably were more affected by the, by the, the stylistic aspects of it than by the, you know, the, the plot itself. I don't know. What, what did you find? Um, Pete, it, it, how would, how would you kind of describe this style of this adaptation?
1: Yeah, I, I, you're very accurate in that the style of it was what struck me more than the content of it because the content of it was not something I had a frame of reference for. So the first thing that's worth noting just in terms of the structure is that it's a story within a story, within a story, within a story. And they are related to you as if they are being performed for you Mm. on a stage with set pieces kind of rolling in and out, right, and kind of layers going on. And also there's a lot that's going into the design of the various places in the different layers to give you the sense – that you've moved from one layer to another. It's actually quite a bit better at it than Inception was. Uh, <laughs> where you can really tell at any given time what layer of the dream you're in. It's never ambiguous, right? like uh, which layer it is. But but so that's that's one aspect of the structure, which is that it's a it's a story with a story. Now, the original short story, did it have the framing device of the author of the story talking to you about the story they were telling? Um or is that something that's been added because this was a royal doll story, and Ray finds is sort of playing royal doll? yeah,
0: I don't recall the I don't recall okay. the narrator being um I don't recall the narrator being identified with royal doll specifically, but it is it is narrated in a first person thing maybe by the By the accountant? No, I've, I, sorry, don't, don't listen to me. But I, no, I don't remember that it's like I, and I, Roald Dahl, alone have lived to tell the tale. It's not, it's not that. So that's, that is a further layer kind of, you know, lacquered over by Wes Anderson.
1: Gotcha. So I would say, now that's one side of it. That's the sort of structure of the piece. But the Wes Anderson style on top of that, which, I feel like there. Every time I try to think about Wes Anderson style, I assume some film graduate student or a four dozen of them have written this up very clearly and articulately for a, in this sort of authoritative way, or there's there's a textbook about it. But I'll describe how I think of it. Um, one of the things about the Wes Anderson style is it's front on, right? You mm-hmm. are you are facing the camera. The camera is looking forward, and uh, usually the back of the of the uh, mise-en-scene is flat, right? There is a flat plane that is in front of you and all the action is happening between the plane or the background and the camera. And then furthermore, the depth of field between the camera and the back is absolute, right? Everything is in focus, which seems impossible. Uh, I don't really know exactly how this works. Uh, I don't know how Wes Anderson actually photographs like this. Uh, I would assume that at some point, because it really does seem a lot of the time, like so for example there 's the scene where Henry Sugar is going into is so when he's going into a casino and they show you the, the table of the people gambling, it kind of rolls in as the sort of walls part. Mm-hmm. And, and I noticed that each person is making a sort of very intense facial expression as if it were a Renaissance painting, right, where every single person that's in the room is saying something. So the, one of the ways in which this is theatrical as opposed to cinematic is that the eye of the camera is not entirely prejudiced in favor of the subject. Uh, right. Like like you are not just looking at the person who is talking. You're not just looking at Dev Patel. You're also looking at Richard Iote. You're also looking at the giant cross on the back wall of the room that they're both sitting in with the other two people. And uh, and all of those things are in focus. And so you have a certain amount of freedom while watching this to choose what it is you're focusing on. And there's a push and pull, at least in my experience with the storytelling, which is being done through various techniques that were normally employed in person to inform and guide your perspective and what you're paying attention to and what you feel and think Um, and, and, and sort of leaving out a lot of things that would in another movie flesh out a verisimilitude or like suspend you know immerse you better my immersion is really is really this is a this is a piece that doesn't immerse you at all you are mm-hmm. not immersed mm-hmm. right you you are looking at it and uh and, and you are looking at it and someone is telling it to you and then that person's telling it to you and then that person's telling it to you and the sort of tall tale quality of all of it it's not like it doesn't read like the yogi part is the sort of crazy backstory, and the Henry Sugar is like the fable that teaches a, a lesson. It's more like all of them are tall tales. Even the story of the writer sitting in the same room for 35 years with his two phones. That's, that's a great example of what I'm talking about. A really mo- tiny moment at the beginning of the movie, you know, Ray finds is settling into his writing desk, to, to write this story that he's, you're going to be hearing from him and then through each of the other interlocutors. And on his desk to his left are two rotary telephones uh, that are both two-tone, like dark brown receivers and sort of tan bodies. Bakelite, I guess, though I don't know if they did bakelite and brown, but, but sort of molded resin, it looks like, or a plastic. Um, and, and why does he have two telephones on his desk? You know, like, like, but also, not only why does he have two telephones in his desk? Why can I see both of them? Why are they both in sort of very sharp focus? Well, because this is a, this is a sort of story where I'm allowed to wander around, and where the story is going to keep trying to pull in my attention and trying to get me to pay attention. Um, so that's kind of an example of of how the experience felt stylistically uh, in watching this this short this short movie. Hmm. Um, I don't know, Mark. What did you think about that stuff? How would else oh. you describe it? That in color palette, but I mean. That's a whole other dimension.
2: Yeah, I'll come to that in just a second, but just uh, um, before I, before we move too far past it, the, the Ralph Fiennes character is credited in this specifically as Roald Dahl, actually. Gotcha. Gotcha. Is, so it, he's it, his
1: character it, from The English Patient, then, who is Roald yeah, Dahl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he, like, traumatized. Oh, military. I'm not familiar <laughs> with English patient at all. Yeah, he was <laughs> shut, shut yeah, down,
0: and yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's
1: it's it, a Roald it's, Dahl joke.
2: It's, but, it's an yeah. interesting choice. They, they didn't have to do that at all, right? It wouldn't really have changed the um, the, the whole package at all um but like to make it t- to connect the author in that way like let's let's put a pin on that maybe try to unpack that a little bit later but like the overall effect like the distancing was just like to the point where the effect, ultimate effect on me is like how is this making me feel is it making me feel anything at all and i was kind of struggling with it after i saw it It was like i appreciated all of it like it was very creative and it was uh, you know, certainly unusual. I will say that I've never seen um, anything quite like that. He paused to consider the great library <laughs> of film and television that he's seen over the years and all of the very strange distant things. To see. OK, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've never seen anything quite like that before um and like the story itself right it had some amusing parts there were you know some funny and and clever aspects of it and you know, the performances were good and all that kind of stuff but like everything is delivered with such like an even tone right not just the color but also just kind of like the delivery of all the lines of dialogue you know there's no um there's very little sort of uh you know uh powerfully kinetic things that happen on screen and, and which like uh, to think about other um um uh, Wes Anderson movies right so, you know sometimes fast and exciting things do happen in Wes Anderson movies it's not all like very slow in that way um, but the i guess at the end of it i was like okay i i don't know if i enjoyed it it was it was an interesting experience i'm i am glad that i saw it and ultimately, it's like, well, okay, there's room for many different types of entertainment in our lives. And I'll take this one here. It might not be the thing that, you know, I'm going to keep watching night after night. Um, it's not pulling me in. Uh, it, it's not compelling in the same way that, I don't know, Ahsoka, hey, something we haven't talked about in a while. I haven't talked about yet, but probably should at some point. Um, can occasionally be <laughs> arresting in that way. But it's also not like just pure sensation in a way that, oh, I don't know the Paw Patrol, the mighty movie. Like, <laughs> he, but do you care to yeah. comment on that in terms I of mean, like, stylistically?
0: Like- yeah. Could you compare and contrast stylistically the, the wonderful story of Henry sugar with uh Paw Patrol, the mighty movie?
1: Sure. So, so, I uh, mean, first just- of all,
0: one is mighty and the other is wonderful. And you might think mm. about, you know, mm. wonder, wonder versus might as, you know, might. claiming, claiming attention or like being, you know, being important to you.
1: Yeah, I guess. So there isn't like a previous world of Henry Sugar where you had to buy a bunch of things. And now the wonderful world of Henry Sugar means you have to buy them again, but different. Right. And that's why they add a different word in the name of the movie. No, no, I'm sorry. I should say also, I should clarify in doing this. Uh, I am wearing a robot suit for this entire podcast and I don't do anything ever for the entirety of the podcast with it. I just talk to dogs and order the round and make them do things. Uh, it's never explained. Uh, so, yeah, so um so, yeah, I guess I guess that is that's me alluding to some things that are happening. In the Paw Patrol Mighty movie, the the Paw Patrol Mighty movie makes no even minor effort to create a experience of telling right like uh i mean i, I maybe at the very very beginning when there's someone whose garbage dump catches on fire and they call the paw patrol but there there are things that happen on screen that are inexplicable and keep in mind i've not watched a lot of pop patrol i've watched maybe three episodes of it i haven't watched the other movie my son loves the song and he loves the toys but he hates the show And so he's really excited to, like, get his Marshall doll and and his Paw Patrol T-shirt and, like, sing the Paw Patrol song as we drove to a movie theater. First movie he saw in the theater, uh, but was, like, very take it or leave it with the actual movie. Like, and uh, really wanted to stay in the movie theater because he thought the movie theater was awesome, whether or not we were watching the Paw Patrol movie. Like, he's more excited to be in the room after the movie was over so he could run up and down the stairs and sit in the big comfy chairs than he was while the movie's going on. But, sorry, I'm, I'm digressing. The point is that... There are things that have happened in the Pop Patrol. Now, if you're not familiar, Pop Patrol is a television show for little baby children uh, that is about a bunch of dogs who, uh, who, who serve in public service roles in a town sort of government that's run by a 10 or 12 year old child. Uh, It's sort of based on a sort of theory of mind issue where every truck has to be associated with a person who drives the truck, who has the job to drive the truck. And none of those people are like Individuals, they, they don't have their own experience, right? There's just like, that's the garbage man. That's the fireman, right? That's the, you know, fire firefighter. That's the garbage collector. That's the construction worker. And they drive the, the bulldozer. They drive the fire truck. And that's their entire personality and existence because I don't understand how they're people because I'm a small itty bitty child baby. And uh, and then what if they were all just dogs like that's the conceit, right? They're all dogs uh, and it's not a society of dogs. They have a kid who's their boss because, of course, the kid wants to be the boss. Uh, and that's the show, except over 10 years is layered on all sorts of stuff. So they now have an aircraft carrier. I don't know why. I don't know where they got it. I don't know what they have it for. It's, it has an amphibious assault mode that they use at the city they live in that's not, like, occupied by a foreign power, as far as I can say. Uh, and and so, like, why do they have it? Why does the kid have a robot suit? Like, what's going on, right? Like, uh, you know, there's there's uh, characters who show up who are not named, like, for, for 20 minutes. Sure. And it, you're really supposed to know who they are already. So – in that sense, what the Paw Patrol movie is doing is like we have determined the thing that you're here to see. And we – and I think it's not just – I don't think it's incompetence. I think they made a brutal economical choice about how to spend it time, right? They don't want to give exposition. It's for little children, baby toddlers, and, uh, and, and they don't want to waste your time because they want to get you in and out of there in less than two hours. Uh, and so they just don't bother, right? They, they assume that you are there for a reason. And they relay to you the images that will satisfy that reason. Whereas Henry Sugar is – everybody who's talking has a different reason for why you should be listening to them and is trying to get across to you something different about their experience. And even more than the experience itself, which is often only portrayed in a very rudimentary way, like that scene where uh, Henry Sugar throws all of the, um, the, the notes off of his balcony right, and causes a riot in the street below. It's, Pete, it's called Making It Rain. He makes it rain. So, so Benedict Cumberbatch makes it rain, as he has wanted to do, if anyone has talked to some of the uh, more sort of seriously academically minded clubs uh, where, you know, he's uh, – <laughs> <but yeah>, he, <laughs> so Benedict Cumberbatch makes it rain. But the whole story is told is shown just by showing him, and it's all told through the mannerism that he uses to throw the pieces of paper along with sound effects. So like he throws a few and then he throws a few more and then he like throws them all up in the air and you can kind of see this arc of where his character is coming from while he's doing all these things. You don't see the street. You hear some of the ruckus, but it's all in the way that he's telling you this, not the thing that he's telling it to you. Whereas when in the Paw Patrol movie, the scientist uses a magnet laser to direct an asteroid into the Earth. And the asteroid goes off target because the scientist doesn't take into account the force of gravity and the asteroid hits the center of a major city and causes a huge catastrophe. Like none of this is like none of this is about how it happens or like why it happens or like what anybody feels about it. It's just a thing that takes place. And of course, the emergency services need to show up. So it's like, what's the result I have to watch of the thing that I just watched? Whereas with with Henry Sugar, it's more like, what's the implication of the thing that I just told you uh, for the thing I'm going to tell you next, or the thing that somebody's telling you about me? Uh, how does that all kind of stack together, fit together? Uh, and so I think that it's a different, you know, Henry Henry Sugar has everything that's missing from the Paw Patrol movie. Um except for Serena Williams, who is in the Paw Patrol movie and not in Henry <laughs> not, Sugar.
0: Taraji, Taraji Piansen is yes. in the Two Paw Two. Two of
1: Kanye West's children have voice cameos in this movie and Kim Kardashian plays a poodle. So it's it's uh, it's quite a it's quite a cast. I'm sorry, I'm talking about the Paw Patrol movie, not the uh, the, the Henry Sugar movie. Um, but where, But comes kind of to my
2: point, right, like the world is big enough for both of these things, thankfully.
1: Oh well, I mean, I, I, the idea that you would have to delete the Paw Patrol movie to spare memory to upload Henry Sugar, and that then when the next Paw Patrol movie came out, you would have to delete Henry Sugar to like put up the Paw Patrol movie because the world is at capacity is uh, is tantalizing and terrifying. Right? Like, what what did I delete to make room for ten years of the Paw Patrol? Is is a, is, a, is a harrowing question, and perhaps what we all should ask ourselves in our lives, if not other than Matt, of course, as he has not patrolled any paws. Uh, here or there, uh as it were um but yeah yeah no as i as it is it that is a that is a script from married with children and not the way that the world works yeah that's a <laughs> i mean
0: like that's interesting paw patrol is is patrol by pause by means of pause, you know right. it's the it's the ablative of uh it's like the ablative of method or something ablative of means mm. i forget I forget the Latin but um right. you're saying that the paw patrol also could be the patrol of pause. You know, that, uh, that, mm. it could whereas be like, this
1: movie is more a patrol of pauses. Uh huh. Ah, there you go. <laughs>
2: there you go. Hey, can I go back to this idea I brought up earlier about, like, kind of like, uh, what, if anything, I'm supposed to feel, like, how this movie is supposed to make me feel? Did this inspire emotion in any of you?
0: Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I like, I felt a is? I felt a great deal. Oh, of...
2: That just kind of like amusement and, like, you know, uh, intellectual,
0: well,
2: uh, smug intellectual satisfaction for being the type of person who enjoys this sort of thing.
0: Well, sir, I take exception. <laughs> what smug intellectual uh enjoyment and a feeling of superiority is the only feeling of which I am capable, sir <laughs> <laughs> and so this movie can still can 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 stir my cold black heart to paroxysms of uh of delight. no, I mean, I think that 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 there I don't know. I think there is something about, about the ingenuity of, of it, uh, that is really wonderful that I found kind of delightful to, um, that I find delightful to watch. It's not, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's not like, I don't know, watching Anne Hathaway sing, I dreamed a dream in, uh, Les Miserables, right? Like, but, uh, (laughs) You know, Interesting
2: but, choice of an example, but yeah, go ahead.
0: I, mean, <laughs> I trying to go for something like highly, you know, highly emotional, but uh, it, you know, it's it's not like that. And I think you got you have to kind of step back and and take in a uh, a bigger thing. But I think that like I don't know that there's a sense there's kind of a sense of like being in good hands when you watch a a Wes Anderson movie where like oh okay like like someone has really Sweat the details. Of this, you know, in every, I mean, Pete was talking about kind of every corner of the frame. I I was noticing, like, I, I wish I could have watched it one or two more times just to like, and to just kind of tune out the story and just take in the mise en scène and be like, Hey, what, you know, what are the, the kind of the objects in the frame? Like, how is the, you know, how is the lighting directing my attention, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like those, those sorts of things. And like to have someone, you know, I don't know, like, like anyone who, I feel about it you know anyway anyone who would be like oh well that's just you know it's just a bunch of twee mannerism like i I, w- I would encourage the person with that um uh with that uh criticism to go try executing some twee mannerism in their life and see how easy you find it <laughs> sort, of, <laughs> sort of similar similar to watch uh, watched a um movie it had Al- alan coming in it it was about a uh it was about Allison, it was about Alan Cumming and Jennifer Jason Lee, and they had like friends over. Uh and like they all kind of played fiction thinly fictionalized versions of themselves and they like had a party and like, you know, stuff happened. And I was talking to to Balinky about it, and it was like, you know, it was like, well, they all just play themselves. And I was like, well, yeah, if you think that's easy, like turn the camera on you you and your own friends and watch what wooden, you know, stilted characters um uh, you know, caricatures of themselves that they become when they, uh, you know, when, when they're faced with the camera. Like, it's not easy to, to play yourself. And I don't know. It's not, a, it's a long way around the barn to say it's not, not easy to sort of do the, the kind of all the mannerist, all the kind of like highly detailed super mannerist, uh, stuff like just just timing the you know uh, winching in all the set pieces and stuff like that like all it's a lot of stuff that you don't have to do practically on film sets a whole heck of a lot I remember watching the special features on the Lord of the Rings movie and, and, and it was all about how like oh we can like create a spotlight on Legolas's face you know in post just with you know just with the highlight tool here in our uh, here in our 3D composer um, as we're you know because the film has all been, been pulled into digital and like, do I, I, th- you get the sense that I, the vast majority of that stuff was done in camera, right? Like was done practically, uh, in physical space on the day as it was being photographed. And that, like, that's, I don't know, that's not nothing. And I feel like the, the kind of the delight, there is a like, you know, delight in human achievement, um, uh, in human capability, kind of thing that we are, uh, that, you know, I don't know, I think is not nothing and is pretty, uh, is pretty cool. I mean, did I feel for the characters? Well, no, not really, but I think that, like, you're not really supposed to feel for the feel for the characters i i felt for the yogi in the story within the story within the story because he like had his uh his private time interrupted and i know what it's like to have my private time interrupted <laughs> and it's uh you know i would definitely throw a brick at someone if uh if they you know thought that they could come you know just like uh while i was having my while i was having my afternoon nap they could come in like uh walk up to me and, and stuff. I don't know. Mark, I wanna, are you convinced by that? Like, uh, are you convinced um, by that at all? Or no, not really.
2: Mostly. I do want to rewind for just a hot second to Lord of the Rings and conjure up a specific scene from a Wes Anderson version of Lord of the Rings where one orc turns the other deadpan, right? Again, with that camera, just like dead onto them, like a phalanx of them and just turns over and says, looks like meat's back on the menu boys. That would be <laughs> cool. I would pay a lot of money to see that. Um, and as, by the way, um, if you kind of search around YouTube and, and Reddit, you can find lots of people making like you know uh, what do call it, uh, Stable Diffusion or Mid Journey, you know AI uh, picture slash movie uh, Wes Anderson spoofs of, of various things. Um, and I'm pretty sure Lord of the, Wes Anderson, Lord of the Rings is, is out there already. Um, but like going back to like you know, like, do you feel for the characters and things like that? Right, that like I, I really did have myself wondering at the end. They're like, I, I feel like I should have cared more about what happened to these characters and it was like if if I'm only appreciating it for the craft bits of things like well is this a narrative movie or is this just like an art film it, or maybe that's the wrong question to ask I, for
1: what's I English could English. I could propose an alternative way of looking at it Sure. Um, the, the, none of this really happened in the context of the movie right it's like a story about a story about a story about a story there are things that are like this that have happened but um The I guess the the two sides of that is on one hand, there's these layers of extraction between you and the events, not necessarily just the events of the show, which are more immediate to you. The events of the cameras are the cameras and, and the set pieces are moving and the people are telling you these things that have happened to them. And that's, you know, in the world of the movie, that's real. Right. Like Dev Patel sitting standing there telling you about the guy who came into his office and talked to him. And then all of them sort of acted towards him in a nonplussed manner. Like that's that's real. But the stuff about like, oh, I, I, you know, there was a guy I saw and he could see, you know, he could see without using his eyes like like that's a story. Right. And so that's one side of it. And then the other side of it is um, it's just it's it generalized arousal, I guess, is something that I would bring up. Um. As somebody who struggles with this stuff, and I don't want to frame everything in terms of, uh, of a sort of mental health kind of thing, because I think often mental health gives us insights into things that work regardless of whether you're dealing with a mental health issue or not. It's just sort of something that causes you to turn your introspection on yourself uh, and kind of evaluate what's going on with a little bit more uh, awareness than you might otherwise. But um, the idea that when I'm excited about one thing, I'm more likely to get excited about other things the more and so you know the the action movies really really extend that right so the relationships because of the sort of noise of it and the stimulation of it the relationships feel bigger to me and the uh, you know the loves feel more intense the hatreds feel more intense the sort of moments of of self-inspection are very heightened uh, anything that resonates in any sort of psychological manner like I really love moments where somebody comes to save somebody else. I was even a little bit moved when the Paw Patrol came out of the ocean to save James Marsden and Kristen Bell's uh, junkyard from the fire that had been set on it because their magnet had been stolen by the evil mad scientist. Like I felt moved when that happened. But part of it was just how loud it was. Right. So like this thing that was happening was very obviously emotionally resonant. And I think maybe for some people, they don't feel anything in those kinds of things because it's so tawdry. But I, I, I tend to feel it a lot. Um, one thing that Wes Anderson doesn't do that I think a lot of uh, related art doesn't do is it doesn't seek to create a state of generalized arousal. If anything, it's sort of assuming that you're already too aroused and is treating you gently. Uh, With the idea that, you know, in the context of this gentleness, you might be able to perceive a greater degree of complexity, you might be able to appreciate a greater degree of vulnerability in particular, right? The sort of range of intellectual and emotional beats might have more subtlety to it if you're not super excited about what's going on. And I and this is the way I think about most indie rock, even though I know that's not what it's actually doing, uh, where it's like there's a whole there's a whole sort of areas of music where the point is not to get you excited, which I, in general, over the course of my life have looked on with disdain because I want music to get me excited. Because I like these intense feelings, right? Even though they are at times unbalancing. Uh and and it is important, I think, to uh well not important. I shouldn't say important, because that sets the sort of biopower thing up. No, no, no. Um, it can be fun to learn different degrees of emotional stimulation and so in this movie i felt like it was really trying to play at a low volume of emotional stimulation but there were certain little moments that had a profundity to them of emotional resonance that you could connect with but only on the level of arousal the film was operating with a big one is when Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch has been kind of rolling through the activity of practicing looking at the candle wick and practicing going through the deck of cards and training himself in the yoga stuff, which I have a sense is probably played much more intensely in the movie than in the book uh, in, in terms of what a human experience it is. And at the end, he has a long beard and he has wild hair and he's like visibly stunned and exhausted. And he says that he's been doing it for however long, like three and a half years. And there's this sort of beat where the reality that he has spent three and a half years just doing this you know i wouldn't say hits him but just sort of washes over him and he's staring right at you while it does and that for me that's an emotional experience but it's not an emotional experience you know i have I, it's not like super intense uh it's not well it's not aroused that's the distinction i would make it's not aroused Sure. I mean, an and that's like
0: in, um, in moments of, in moments of epith- epiphany or in moments of catharsis all throughout the, the film, right? Like when Ben Kingsley sees the yogi meditating or something like that, right? Like, yeah. um, uh, it's not, it's never like cut away to, to a close up of his face and his eye, eyes are wide and his mouth is agape and it's like, <gasps> you know, the, 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 it's there, the kind of the interiority, um is is kind of vacuumed out but what what does happen i mean like i was thinking about that is it intense in the book no not i mean not in the same way um i feel like the a a film can make you experience the passage of time in a way that a book can't because you can skip things in a book and you can like you can kind of control a book in a way that that allows you still to kind of master the element of time when you're uh when you're reading um and you can't in a in a film right like um a moving, a moving shot. And there are a lot of moving elements is, is I think like one of the, the things in film vocabulary that really engages time because it, you know, a movement has a beginning, middle of it. And an end. if the camera moves or if a character moves or if a set piece moves or something like that, like uh it, it sort of forces you to experience time. That's one way in which it's more intense. And I also think not to, not to again, bring everything back to, to just sort of the mind and the body, but like the, um, uh, though, I guess what else is there beyond those two things? Uh, the the you can kind of engage mirror neurons right in a in a way uh when you Mm. were making a movie um that that like in in a way where we can kind of like feel or we can kind of go along with things that that are happening to characters in movies. Like we kind of internally sync up in those. Uh, we we internally sync up with things that that we uh, we observe. That's super inexact, probably inaccurate, but um, that's my at least rudimentary. So are you, saying, are you talking about
1: anything. the people
0: making the movie or the people watching the movie? The, the people watching the movie are one of the things the movie does. You as a as a viewer, right? Is it can kind of create sensations in you, not just by barraging you, not just by by kind of manipulating or or kind of managing your reactions to you know to light or to sound, but but also by depicting certain things that you know through the engagement of of your identification with with characters, um, and through some like uh, through some involuntary kind of neuron responses. To, uh, to what you're observing, right? Like make you go through certain things, make it kind of make you identify certain things. That's, that's another thing. It's another thing that kind of accounts for the intensity of the, um, And counts for the intensity, accounts for the intensity of the, the experience that, that you can have, right? Like when he comes back in the beard, it's like you involuntarily clutch your face or something like that. Or you have a sense, maybe you like, like squirm a little bit because you have a, like a sense, had a sense of like grime a little bit. Like it being, it being a, a Wes Anderson movie, it's, it's kind of clean. It's kind of antiseptically clean. But the, the, you know, you think of someone like who has been living in his, his dressing gown for all those years and, and perhaps hasn't, hasn't showered. Or the big one for me was like, you know, you gain your yoga superpowers by staring into a candle and kind of like meditating on the the flame of the candle. And my like, I felt like bright, you know, I felt like I had to like close my eyes or like squint or something as I was just imagining um, and kind of co-experiencing the like this, the staring into a candle and becoming becoming sort
1: of mesmerized by that. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a scene in Paw Patrol, the mighty movie where Uh Rubble, the construction dog, is going to get a snack from the snack dispenser. And so he hits the little lever to get a little dog biscuit, but because he's rubble and he's the one of the Paw Patrol, one of the few. He Paw gets Patrol a dogs. shock instead. He gets a, he gets a <laughs> yeah. terrible electric shock. You thought. <laughs> And on the other side of the wall is a graduate student who's being told to shock the paw patrol. And the graduate student-
0: and dial the ten. And the graduate student is, is very soft hearted and is like, I don't want to cause pain to this poor, <laughs> poor, defenseless and, and innocent animal. And the supervising professor who has tenure looks down and says, Hurt the dog. Hurt
1: <laughs> the dog. So so what happens in the Paw Patrol movie slash Milgram experiment is that he hits the lever a bunch of times until he gets a lot of food, and then he carries the bowl uh, very self-satisfied with himself to go eat all of it. That's what happens. There's no joke. The joke is just that he takes a lot of food. Um, but this clip was played before the movie. Uh, as part of a music video of music that was going to be in the movie that also told you about how to behave in the theater, because the expectation is that seeing the dog hit the lever to get the snacks in the lab experiment is going to make you as a small baby little toddler child make your parents get you popcorn <laughs> or as a parent remind you that you, that part of why you brought your kid to the movies is to get them popcorn so that you all buy concessions while you're watching the movie, uh, which is another way that mirror neurons activate when you're looking at dogs. Um, I get mirror neurons probably activate a lot when you're looking at dogs. Mirror neurons is not something we've talked about on the podcast before. I don't think it was really interesting to find out about them. Uh, I think it was relatively recently that I even learned that they existed. It was which is like yeah, yeah, it was
0: something. It's a, it's something that I got into a little bit when when I was in acting school, and I thought mm-hmm. that like it was very relevant to you know, the, the, to theatrical performance and, and kind yeah. of the, the study of acting but I didn't, I, I didn't pursue it alas. Um So, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe we have to do a uh, 20 or 30 part podcast series on neurology and, uh, and yeah. mirror neurons in, in particular. But like, I, yeah. you know, I think it's one of the tools that a, that a filmmaker has not really a, a tool of filmmaking. It's just one of the kind of the effects when, you know, of, of, um, filmmaking is that it, it, you have this, this ability to kind of create, um, uh, to, to almost kind of create sensations, to kind of incept, right? Like, uh, yeah. uh, things, not, not ideas exactly, but more like, more like, uh, experiences, sort of involuntary experiences in the, you know, in the, in the minds of the audience. And it's, you know, I mean, one of the, the things that like, um, if, if Wes Anderson were French, right? And living maybe 50, 60 years ago, there would be some discourse about the, the kind of the vulgarity of, uh, Anne Hathaway singing, uh, I dreamed a dream in the Les Miserables movie, right? And that, like, the, if you, if you, like, cut away to a, a tight close up on Ben Kingsley, like, you know, reacting with shock, you know when the uh when the when the yogi levitates by the way the yogi's levitation is uh, accomplished by um it's accomplished by a, a set piece being painted in a certain way right like it's clear that the yogi the actor is still sitting on a on a little apple box you know on a little wooden crate uh but he rotates the wooden crate 90 yeah. degrees and the camera moves so that the painting on the face of the wooden crate facing the camera, uh, lines up with the backdrop so that it looks as though the yogi is, is, uh, is levitating. I don't, I don't know if I'm describing that in a way that, that totally makes sense. It's a
2: effect and yeah. it's not hidden at all. No, 100%, 100%. 100%.
0: Right. Like in that, that illusion, but it, you know, it works pretty well. It's kind of neat. And like, that's the stuff, you know, I don't know. That's the stuff that I love. And I mean, it, I guess I've, I've gone to see a lot of devised theater and a lot of like, um, a lot of stuff where that's, that's, uh, I, I, I love that stuff because it invites you to kind of make an imaginative, uh, leap. But if you were to then cut away to Ben Kingsley, you know, uh, uh gasping in, in slack bewilderment, uh, at this, you know, like, and, and sort of, not really? not yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, oh gosh, really like, uh, you know, deep in his feelings, um, it would be you know it would be sort of vulgar right like and and by uh by reducing it to kind of narration or sort of reducing it to style or by kind of stripping away the 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 vulgarity of the uh, the sentimentality the uh, you know of all the sentiment out of it you you achieve something that is is sort of still greater um you know so it's it's not that it it doesn't make you feel things it's that uh it's that feeling things is bad and wanting things to feel things is bad And we should only watch French New Wave movies and
1: listen to indie rock. Uh, Pete, that's uh, that's my point, really. Okay, I'm glad that you've made your point. Excellent. But yeah, I guess the short answer, Mark, is there are brief moments of break that the movie takes where it's asking you to feel some measure of uh, empathy or sympathy with what the character is currently going through. But it is not an operatic piece that achieves a sort of uh, emotional crescendo at any particular point. So so this whole
2: thing about like, you know, emotional, uh, general kind of state of arousal and sort of things like, you know, are are we talking about something normative here? Like, do we all do you all think that uh, we should have more of these sort of more contemplative things in our lives, like just the, the sound and fury that we are barraged? upon you know put like an hour and a half of the paw patrol movie the second paw patrol mm. movie aside for a second like in our, dirt, right. our general daily states of lives like
1: but that you know, leaves 15 minutes of it left mark oh no <laughs> sorry go ahead <laughs> really it's hour 45 an hour and a half well part of it is a of the explorer short. Um, so there's that. Oh, okay. Well, we put it that way and that, yeah. that's, that's delightful. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah. Do you, do do you feel like, you know, would we all be better people? Yeah, if, I mean, like Pete, if that's 20% what, more uh, of our vegan uh, diet would be like this?
0: Pizza, this door explodes. Uh, yeah. No, Pete, what I'm saying is swiper, no swiping tears away from your eyes.
1: <laughs> 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 I mean, I would, ha- I would say that it's, Im- I think that it, it is, I, I think it's helpful to, consider it to be a contingent rather than a hypothetical imperative, like a it's a hypothetical rather than categorical imperative that you should watch more downbeat stuff, right? Like because it depends on who you are and how much of it you're currently watching. I'm not assuming that everybody is doing that. I will say that if if you are hyper stimulated Right. If if you're hyper-stimulating your life, like a lot of us are, to the extent that it is kind of getting in the way of your emotional functioning, which I think it is for a lot of people, I don't think that's a controversial thing to say, you could stand to find respite from your degrees of emotional stimulation. Are you going to find it by watching Wes Anderson movies? Is that like the best way to do it? Maybe not. Probably not. Like, maybe like go
0: for a <laughs> walk in a park or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Like leave your phone behind and like go, yeah. you know, go like touch grass, you know. But that's, uh, yeah. uh you know, talk to your doctor.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's it's sort of like why are you doing it? If you're doing it because you need to feel better, then I think it might be helpful to like focus on making sure that you're doing it. Um, it it's sort of – I mean or maybe not. I think for a lot of people, you know, art helps you process. And so uh, you probably there are probably ways that you can you can do this sort of thing, but I would not say that like you should watch more Wes Anderson movies and fewer uh, seasons of Twenty Four in a row without breaks because uh, that that latter just sounds so awesome, right? I mean, it's just so good for you. <laughs> Where's the advice? Um, well, I mean, what
0: I will say, Mark, that it, that I think approaches more a more normative claim is that like I I think it would be better if our you know, popular modes of communication were, um, more varied, right? Or uh, popular forms of entertainment were sort of more, more varied. Um, mm. yeah. I, you know, like I sort of talked to, I think I talked about this in the, in the, um, in the episode where we talked about the strike about the the writer strike and the actor strike where uh you know i i probably said something along the lines of of like i would like an entertainment industry where where more people make a living and fewer people make a killing i would be totally okay with uh sacrificing the the like the very high end of reward uh in that space if more people could uh could earn a living wage doing uh doing it and i you know i think that that like um I I think that that like would would be all to the good in in art generally to sort of see a, a a wider variety but then you know fashions and fads and markets and and things these you know these things are always these things are always with us culture cultural markets even if not uh, even if not economic ones and, and in grouping and out grouping have something to do with it. And like, you know, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm just really glad, uh, that Taylor Swift has managed to shine a light on the NFL and bring it to the attention <laughs> of people. <laughs> you know because like because these boys are working so hard every day you know playing their game playing their little game and and and, it's such a contemplative art form as well you know devoid
2: uh, of most of the stimuli that we get from our other entertainments.
0: they've been doing it in such obscurity for so long that I think it's good that that someone like Taylor Swift a real star you know a real accomplished (laughs) person right can actually come in and like bring you know by by having a a, a, hypothetically a romantic intent with the uh uh you know with with one of the players of of that game one of the one of, one the, of the
1: players yeah, Travis one, Kelsey the tight end he's he's nah, mind. no I never No he's uh <laughs> no I mean yeah no it's it's I great I owned my whole fantasy one year cuz I drafted him like second <laughs> But I mean, that was the only time I played. and It was against my family. That's I'm, anyway.
0: and I'm I'm so glad some more people can some people can actually learn who that guy is because of Taylor <laughs> Swift. You yeah. know, bringing bringing the spotlight to him, much like Wes Anderson shines the spotlight on what you're supposed to be looking at in the in the frame In in his thing. Look, I couldn't do this without bringing in a little Slavoj Zizek. Are you are you all ready for some ideology? You all ready for some? You know, I just
1: watched Paw Patrol, so <laughs> I've got ideology up the wazoo. Sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Paw Patrol. Uh, uh, Paw Patrol is not not copaganda, right?
1: OK, I, this is this is a rather naive critique of Paw Patrol having watched this movie, because it would really imply that they're doing anything remotely resembling police work. There and go. also,
2: That's that's like, the. Yeah, here, no,
1: yeah if go. if if in writing a pop or if in putting a Paw Patrol story on screen, you actually honored the premise <laughs> In say the way Wes Anderson did and had characters kind of engage with the sort of social context of who they are in determining the meanings of their choices. If like the Paw Patrol dogs remained operators of public service infrastructure, you would have to have a whole bunch of stories about how one of the dogs is a cop. But you don't have to do that because they just do whatever. Right? Like, like <laughs> the dog who's a cop in this movie, all he does is get super speed and use it once. And he's otherwise not even in the movie. There, the movie starts with a theft of a giant electromagnet. The, there's a cop on the team, they never investigate it, right? Like they don't bother trying to find out who stole the electromagnet. The the, the person gets arrested, but it's done off screen by other cops. So, like, the actual cop in the Paw Patrol doesn't do any police work. They do, however, ride on no fewer than four different high-tech uh, vehicles that are rolled out at different times that are enormous and incredibly impractical. But, yes, I would say that, like, that, like Paw Patrol, there are two – I think there are two kind of catch-22 ways that the propaganda critique gets levied at something, which is either that it's too similar – to what to, – to the bad things, it, I guess I would say it either reflects law enforcement as, as bad, encouraging and modeling that law enforcement should be bad, or it, it depicts law enforcement as good, uh, which uh, in certain circumstances might paper over or uh, – or, or improve the public uh, opinion of law enforcement greater than it is deserved. Those I think of as the two sort of general critiques of this sort, they do to a degree contradict when you make sort of broad statements that they are all doing these things because you can't do both at the same time, really. Sure, but it's um, one of
0: it's one or the other. It's kind of two modes of it's like a bimodal yeah. distribution of copyright. You get
1: to get right? you get to get them coming and going. You can you can insult them regardless of what they're doing this way. It's great. Uh but no, no. It is, it is I, also but it's also two different ways that you could screw up. It's also right? di- like, well, yeah,
0: um, it's a hard it's a hard needle to thread. Like David David Simon did it in the wire by not showing a lot of scenes that you would expect to see in in cop shows, right? Which generally is like you know white police rolling up on on black criminals and arresting them, right, and the, and right. The, all of that stuff. Um, he did it a lot once. of that in
1: the Paw Patrol movie. <laughs> the cop doesn't do hmm. it. Right. It's actually Zuma, the watercraft dog, that's really racist in the Paw Patrol. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's no, no, no. Never mind. Sorry, that's that's inappropriate.
0: But I want to, I want to just talk a little bit from a from a, a point of view, from kind of an orientalist point of view about the okay. wonderful story of of Henry Sugar, right? Like w- the the ideological part of it, at least, it, w- what what our our boy Slavoj would uh, say about. Uh, about it is that the the ideological aspect of it has to do with the kind of the reinvigorating of a, you know, decrepit kind of flaccid British aristocracy through the an engagement with through a kind of extraction of the the resources of the Indian subcontinent right like the hmm. yoga there is like is there you know as a kind of rebirth agent for uh for this this you know b- uh billionaire millionaire playboy um you know unwee stricken uh bachelor uh you know wealthy bachelor london dweller right they like that that uh um and that and that the idea is you know the the idea that like oh you know in in getting his groove back right like the the the, the sort of the act of getting your groove one's groove back is sort of extractive and here it's sort of positioned as like uh, the the provision of social services for all the British children um because he ends up using his uh using all of his his ill-gotten gains to fund orphanages and hospitals for children so the provision of social uh services for children is sort of dependent on this this extraction of groove getting back from the colony uh and the kind of like the drawing of that uh of that up into the up into the imperial power where it's you know turned into money uh, in gambling through ch- through cheating and gambling and then putting in the the um uh, and then, and then you know, used to to help children. I mean, how could you? How could you be against helping helping children, Matt? No, shock the child, shock the child, teach it not to to hit that <laughs> lever.
1: It's <laughs> condition the child. <laughs> you don't get another Paw Patrol toy. You have to go home and eat your. How can you have your meat if you don't eat your pudding? Wait, I don't even know how that goes.
0: <laughs> but that's the. Are doing uh, um, Matilda now? Like, is that?
1: What yeah. The- yes. Everyone <laughs> just turns into rats. Um so yeah so oh, I, I one also, of my favorite yeah. one of
0: my favorite lines by the way in case you were wondering if roll Dahl was was super classist uh is something that Matilda te- thinks about her her teacher her kind teacher I think Jenny is the name of the teacher who takes her in uh and you know serves her tea with uh bread with a uh, toasted margarine and and Matilda thinks to herself margarine she really is poor Anyway, in case you were wondering what kind of guy Roald Dahl was, uh, Roll Dahl was deep down. Anyway, I couldn't, I had to drop, drop my boy Slavoy in there, um, uh, a little bit because I think that, the, that kind of the relationship, you know, especially if it's like, oh, you know, the, the, the English aristocrat learned something from like the Indian yogi, uh, uh the, the, those are always moments, uh, time to, to, to pause and reflect when you, when you stumble across one of those.
1: I did like how he referred to it as yoga powers. Yes. Like just, he said, and then I had my yoga powers, right? Like, and it's just, cause there's an absurdity to it. There's like, <laughs> you're, you're BSing me. Like you're totally BSing me, right? Like this story makes no sense. Uh, but also it shows the sort of, uh, uh, on un- unpreparedness that the, that the, uh, that Henry sugar has for what's happening to him. Uh, that moment where he realizes that, the the uh, the 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 practice has changed him, that he has become a different person because of this is not one where he like is like, oh, wow, you know, I used to be totally lame and now I'm a different person. It's more like I don't enjoy the things I liked I used to enjoy anymore. Like, that's a big deal. I don't I don't have fun doing my uh that's 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 a, often a, a criteria for mental illness <laughs> like it <like>, <laughs> stopped enjoying it's, it's like called, depression it's called
0: anhedonia yeah yeah yeah, exactly
1: have... <laughs> but the... so, so, like yeah. But uh,
0: it's I, it's almost like a deflating move, and it's something that Wes Anderson does a lot by kind of latching onto a particular phase, uh, a phrase, and almost like reifying it. Like when I think it's Tilda Swinton who comes into Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom, by the way, is a beautiful movie that will make you feel things because it, you know it's kind of a yeah. coming of age okay. movie. It's a uh, sure. you know it's about childhood. It's about you know the um, relationship with adults. It's about how adults uh, disappoint you. And the, and uh, and Tilda Swinton comes in and it says the actual line i'm child services or uh, maybe social service i am social services and that's like I've, i feel the same way about like yes i have my yoga powers now and i can i can see through the backs of cards with my yoga powers um the, the, you
2: know everything. what you're getting at here just to be clear right is that all this distancing and just wes anderson like helps defang or sanitize i don't know what the right word is but inoculate maybe the the movie from this kind of uh A problematic Orientalism going on. Is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it interrogates the. I don't think the film interrogates the. the, It does not. Uh, orientalism a, a lot at all, but I guess I I guess if I felt you know if I were really like uh, you know if if Henry Sugar were like walking into casinos and I on the soundtrack over hearing we will be victorious <laughs> I you know I think I like I might become uh, like that arousal might blind me a, a little bit to you know some of the things it does it does make things available for contemplation. Or for examination, I think in a way that that uh, a high level of sentimentality or emotionality or just kind of neurological arousal, nervous system arousal generally would um, would yeah, sort of obscure
1: I mean it also divides the part of the story that's in India between a more grounded professional institutional modern India and a fantastical in the you know, woods, mystical, yeah, like the so like Dev Patel's character is really important in the in the breaking up of this uh, movie for not being a, a a tale of Orientalism because it doesn't there isn't even a direct connection between Benedict Cumberbatch's character and the yoga guy. He's reading it all through Dev Patel's account, and so it affects him first, then it sort of goes up the chain. But you know, you don't see a lot of portrayals of like doctors in the Raj like there there's a map of the Raj right in the back of the room Mm. uh you know and like that's another detail that you can pick out and then people don't really talk about the Raj a lot I mean is am I even using the right term in referring to it as the Raj like the sort of large entity that was presided over by the British uh you know that includes the modern states of among others you know uh Pakistan India Bangladesh you know and um yeah, it was, the, it
0: was the name of the government or something like that, or yeah, the name yeah, of the yeah. like the system, yeah, the, like the kingdom or something like the, that. the
1: pre-partition. You know, the whole pre-partition political and and economic and social organization that was happening over there. And so, like, we're seeing this from we don't. I don't think we see a lot of stories about magical yogis that are told. At least we don't because we don't watch a lot of Bollywood movies. I'm sure too. Like told from the perspective of like you know, professionally grounded, secularly minded, modern Indian people, right? Like that they're the ones who are experiencing it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's, that's, I think an importance. It's, it's not, it doesn't like sort of, uh, it doesn't like sort of banish any sort of uh, indictment of this sort of thing. But what it does do sort of functionally is it breaks up the movie so that it doesn't gravitate towards that emotional center of gravity, Mm. which the movie is really trying to not let you do that. It's, this movie is like making a French omelet, you know it's like you need to agitate the curds so that they don't form right you agitate you sorry you pour the egg into the pan with the butter right with the melted butter that's not browned yet and and you have to continue to agitate the egg so that the curds don't form too fast or else you get you know scrambled eggs or a country omelet right and so like the movie has to keep kind of confusing you misdirecting you adding additional layers of alienation so that it doesn't congeal into dal sim from street fire you know hanging out with with sean connery from league of extraordinary gentlemen or something like that right like like it has to like it has to sort of it mixes it around it oh. kind of like you know it does that whole thing wait that was yeah, something but if you just that- let
2: the eggs sit in the pan long enough and they congeal and harden then they become delicious pup treats pete
1: yeah yes yeah paw patrol they just drop the eggs in the pan with the shells cover them in cheese <laughs> <laughs> feed them to children because <laughs> they can't complain because they don't know how to talk uh <laughs> no 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 i shouldn't insult the paw patrol movie i'm sure you can't, that if, you can you know, paw patrol
2: is, is is pretty bad i mean like i i feel pretty comfortable going on the record and saying yeah, that that yeah. i wish my children didn't like it and i wish i were a better parent and didn't show it to them <laughs>
1: Like you could make a Wes Anderson movie about that. You could make a Wes Anderson movie. Oh my gosh. Much more than a Wes Anderson movie about Paw Patrol would be a Wes Anderson movie that relays to you the story of an episode of Paw Patrol as told from the perspective of a child watching it, as told from the perspective of the parent that's watching the child, as told from the perspective of the people making Paw Patrol that are trying to get it on television so that the parent will show it to the child. (laughs) Like like the the, the interplay of those sort of three people People, the like the Paw Patrol supply, the Paw Patrol demand, and the parents stuck in the middle is like where the real drama of Paw Patrol is, I think, more than in the dogs fighting crime or like picking up trash or like flying a helicopter for no reason. Um you know, you know, they have a dog. Okay. At one point in this movie, there's a dog, and the dog always flies a helicopter. Temporarily, in this movie, the dog gets the power of flight from a magical meteorite. Right? This is something that happens in this movie. Uh, the dog already had a helicopter. Power flight's nice to have, not a need to have. Uh, and the Paw Patrol is going to go after the, uh, this, this, this pup's uh, crystal of magical powers or whatever. Her mighty crystal has been stolen. She has been stripped of her powers, but now the supervillain has powers. And the Paw Patrol is going to get after, go after her. And, and Ryder tells Sky the flying pup, that she can't come along because it's too dangerous. Now, first of all, he is a child running an aircraft carrier by himself full of dogs doing jobs for humans. Everything they do is dangerous. Also, all of the things that they engage in are dangerous, you know, like fire and floods and octopus attacks and all sorts of stuff. But also third of all, she could just fly her freaking helicopter. She doesn't need to know how to fly without a helicopter to do her job. She just needs the helicopter and they have an infinite supply of helicopters and the carrier. And then furthermore, on top of that, like – she could just fly the helicopter. Oh wait, we don't really need you to fly the helicopter. You never need them all. You never need all the Paw Patrol people to do something, and yet they always show up, all doing the same thing. The number of situations where you need a construction worker, a sanitation worker, and a scuba diver at the same time is very small.
0: Pete, that's that's so, <laughs> that's so insensitive after the flooding <laughs> that New York experienced this week. That's after it uh, that. just happened. <laughs> this is the one time too I'm soon, wrong. Man too soon <laughs> uh, you, know, you know what they really need my head is
1: the- literally my hand is covering my face right now I can't deal with
0: it I can't. <clears throat> sorry Mike you were about to say oh, uh,
2: if you think all that is ridiculous Pete um, just want to remind you that like they turn into pups, they turn into mermaids Um <laughs> They protect dinosaurs as well. That's some like,
1: propaganda right there. Yeah, right. A police officer becomes a dinosaur. That's it's just unadulterated
2: <laughs> nonsense all the way through.
1: <laughs> Unlike
2: this highly considered Wes Anderson movie. All right, yes.
0: we 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 have to we have to leave it there on that particular point. Thank you very yeah. much for listening, Pete and Mark. Thank you as always for podcasting with me. He took a deep breath, preparing himself to say. The thing that he said for almost 800 episodes now on every single episode. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking a Podcast, he said. Until then, you can visit us on the web. Why would anyone want to do that? Why would anyone go on the web anymore? said Matt, thought Matt, to himself. At www. www. who even uses that anymore? www. used to distinguish web servers from other kinds of servers. FTP. Gopher. Mail. Who even uses it anymore? I mean, everything is the web, and nothing is the web. What even is the web? thought Matt, spiraling out of control. Dot overthinking it dot com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny.
1: It It probably probably doesn't 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 deserve deserve it. it. Looks like we just cast this pod. That would be the pop Patrol. Everybody has to have a paw patrol line. That's the one thing they always say that is like their whole personality because it's a show without theory of mind, right? What would be your pop Mark? What would be your paw patrol line? Like how how like the fireman says, like, ready for a rough, rough rescue, or uh, I'm fired up. Uh Chase is on the case. What would be your 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 podcaster line?
2: Oh, um, gosh, it would probably be something like um Terminator reference
1: made. There we go. And then, Matt, can you can you conceive of a way that you might be a member of the Paw Patrol or do you remain ensconced in Wes Anderson like fine velvet?
0: John Milton is still the unsurpassed and unsurpassable <laughs> greatest
1: author of in any language. F-R-R. I want to see the car, the car you drive, if that's your catchphrase. <laughs>